And uh, we're going to pick up at uh, Philippians chapter 3, um, verse 17, just reading that last section there. Let me read from 3.17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies, so that they will be like his glorious body. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good to see everybody. Um, a few faces that I don't think I've met. So uh, my name is Andrew. Uh, I live in North London, so I'm a bit of an imposter down in these parts. Um, I'm up at Oak Hill Bible College, and I'm in my third and final year of training for Anglican ministry. That means kind of training to be a vicar like Steve. We're going to look at this passage. It's a good one. So um, let's pray, and then we'll take a look together. Father God, we thank you so much for your word in this world, for all of us, um, whether we have faith or whether we do not. Life in this world is confusing, it is difficult, it is trouble often, it is joyful often. And we pray that you would guide us this morning. Please, Father, give us spiritual sight to see past what is just on this earth, what is just in this world and see through to the even more real kingdom, the heavenly kingdom that lies beyond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you paid much attention to the first couple of words um, that came up in that reading, but if you've got your Bibles, please do turn back to Philippians. Um, I'm not there, so we're doing that together. It's on page 1180. Chapter 3. And we started in verse 17. And Paul starts by saying this. Join together in following my example. And so the question then is, who is Paul and what does it mean to follow his example? Well, I don't know how much you know about the Apostle Paul. Uh, before he was an apostle, he used to persecute the church. So Paul, by birth, was a Jew. Um, he tells us elsewhere he was born in um, Tarsus of Cilicia. Um, he studied under the Jewish teacher Gamaliel, who was a very well-respected Jewish teacher, very senior. Um, and so amongst his people, amongst his peers, amongst his friends, amongst his family, Paul was a very well-respected man. As far as we know, he wasn't short of money. Life wasn't particularly difficult for him. And then he became a Christian. And this is what he writes in one of his other letters, 2 Corinthians, about his life since he became a believer, since he became an apostle. He says, I have worked hard. I have been in prison frequently. I have been flogged 
severely and I have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 39 lashes. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. That is the man who then turns to the Philippians and by extension turns to us if we are Christian believers and says, join together in following my example. Why on earth would you want to follow that example? I mean, that looks like a horrific life to live. Why on earth would we take one step down a path that makes our lives more difficult in that kind of way is the question we might want to ask. Well, why would we? Because the stakes are so high. And Paul lays out for us in these verses two options, two paths, two paths to walk on, two ways to live, and two kingdoms to live for. So this is our kind of dominant theme that we see here, is we see two kingdoms. There's the earthly kingdom. That's the one that we live in right now, physically. We're here. We look around, we see it, we touch it, we taste it. The earthly kingdom. But then Paul speaks of another kingdom, a kingdom that is just as real but a kingdom that now we do not yet see. And that is the heavenly kingdom of the Lord Jesus. And Paul says to us, which are we going to live for? Because what we choose could not be more important. So firstly, Paul writes, uh, I'll read again verse 17, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes those." On eyes on those who live as we do. Why does he urge them so keenly? Verse 18, for because, as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. What does it mean to live as an enemy of the cross of Christ? Well, it's not so much what these people said as the way that they lived their lives. Not so much what they said with their lips as what they said with the things that they did. It was not a theological denial of the cross of Christ that they don't think Jesus' death worked or they don't think it was important or they don't think that, that Jesus was God. But they refused to walk the way of the cross. We've seen in Philippians that to walk the way of the cross is to walk a sacrificial life. It is to live a life of humility, a life that is directed not to ourselves and to our gain, but to others, a life of love and service and sacrifice. In chapter 2, Paul wrote of Jesus' example that he came from heaven to earth, took the form of a servant, 
and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And as Jesus says in the Gospels, if anyone would follow me, he says, they must take up their cross, deny themselves, and follow me. And it seems that there is this group around the Philippians that Paul is concerned about who live in such a way that perhaps they might say Christian things with their mouths, but they refuse to live this sacrificial lifestyle. When life will become harder for living for Jesus, they just go their way. They just carry on choosing to live for themselves instead. Enemies of the cross are those who seek to avoid the suffering that might come their way as a result of living for Jesus. Enemies of the cross are those who seek to avoid suffering that might come their way as a result of following Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, for me, sometimes that's me. Sometimes, because I'm a sinner, because I'm a human, I don't always choose the right path. I don't always choose the sacrificial path. I don't always choose the loving path. But what differentiates the faithful Christian from the enemy of the cross of Christ is when we realize we've done that, we repent. We say, I'm sorry, Lord, for having lived that way. I know that's not how I should live. And we turn back to recommit ourselves to the way of the cross of Christ a life of service and sacrifice and love, not for ourselves, but for others. Whereas these that Paul is concerned about, and his concern for the Philippians is that they might look at these others around them, living for themselves, but yet seeming to hold on to some kind of Christian, uh, sort of you know, vaguely Christian aspects, and that the Philippians might think, well, to be honest, that looks like an easier way to live. That looks less hard work than the Christian life that Paul is calling us to. I think I'll go their way instead. And Paul wants to say, no, fix your eyes on me. Fix your eyes on those who live like me because the stakes are so high. How high are the stakes? How high are the stakes? Well, verse 19. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. These are three quick pairs. Um, In the original, it's just uh, the words. It just says destiny, destruction, God, stomach, glory, shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. What do each of those mean? Well, the first is the most obvious, although arguably the most serious. Their destiny is destruction. As we'll see as we read on, there is a coming, well, there is a heavenly kingdom, And when Jesus returns, he will come in power as king and bring that heavenly kingdom to earth. And when he does, if we have been so in love with this earthly kingdom that we have refused the heavenly king and we have refused the earthly kingdom, well, sorry, we have refused the heavenly kingdom, well, when Jesus comes, when the heavenly kingdom comes, this currently earthly kingdom is going to be destroyed. And if we have committed ourselves to to love this earthly kingdom, then we will be destroyed with it. That is how serious this is. Their destiny, the destiny of those who love this world, who love this earthly kingdom, 
is destruction. Destiny, destruction, God. Well, their God is their satisfactions. Their God is their fleshly, earthly impulses. And it just says their God is their stomach. Um, and the word is, uh, means, means sort of like a, a hollow or cavity. Um, sometimes it's translated belly, sometimes it's translated stomach, uh, sometimes womb, sometimes inner person. Uh, in Romans, the same word is translated as their own appetites, those who follow their own appetites. So we can think of it more generally, sort of metaphorically, as those things which we seek to satisfy us in this world, whatever that is. So including food, certainly, but not just food. I think of friends of mine who would still, uh, I mean, who once would have been walking closely with Christ and who would still, some of them, be holding on to this kind of clinging on, wanting to say that they're a Christian, but in the way that they live, you see no difference. And so for them, I think of Jeremy. For him, it was the glory of career. That was the satisfaction that he sought in this earthly kingdom that pulled him away from Christ. For Stuart, sexual pleasure. For James, it was money. For Amy, it was the party lifestyle with all the drinking that goes with that. For JP, it was wanting an easy life, not upsetting his family. Following our own appetites, the things in this world that we think will satisfy us, whereas actually, of course, the only thing that will satisfy us is God. It's harder because we can't see the heavenly kingdom, but ultimately that is the only kingdom that will satisfy. Destiny, destruction, God's stomach. And thirdly, glory. Their glory is their shame. That is the things that those who put their hope in this earthly kingdom seek in this life, the things that satisfy them, that thing in which they find their glory, well, on the last day, because that is the thing that has tied a person to this earthly kingdom, that is the very thing which will be shown to be their shame. That which seemed glorious, career glory, or relationship glory, or the money, or the achievements, or whatever it is, that thing which seems glorious now in this life, and which, even if we are Christian believers, we can often look out and go, well, actually, some of those things look really attractive. There is a hint of glory in them. But if they are just lived for in this world, then on the last day they will be shameful things, the very things in which those whose minds are set on earthly things glory now, they will be shamed for on the last day and ashamed of at the final judgment. Now, every Sunday at St. Helens, there are some who thoroughly believe these things, and there are some who are here and self-consciously know that they don't believe these things, but they're still coming, and we love that, and that's great, and please keep coming. And so please don't be offended by my speaking of kind of you know, those, those inside and those outside. I'm trying to reflect Paul's language here. And please, please, please don't hear me as saying that there's a judgmental attitude or a lack of love. Look again at what Paul says in verse 18. He says, As I have often told you before, and now tell you again even with tears. Paul loves these people of whom he is writing. Those guys that I mentioned, they are friends of mine. I could have mentioned half of my family as well. We've only got a, a few Christians in my, in my extended family. Paul speaks of these people as outsiders because there are two kingdoms. 
there's the heavenly kingdom and there's the earthly kingdom. And we enter the heavenly kingdom by trust in Christ. And if we refuse to trust Christ, well, then we remain in the earthly kingdom. But these are still close to Paul's heart. He mourns over them, and so should we. Right now, we don't know for certain who is going to end up in the heavenly kingdom or the earthly kingdom. Because as long as someone is alive, even if they seem fully committed to the earthly kingdom now, there's still time. They can still turn to the heavenly king. There's still time. Only on the last day when Jesus returns will we know for certain. And so in the meantime, we aren't drawing lines saying these people are inside and these are outside. We're saying trust in Christ and you can know for yourself that you are inside. And for those who you know who it seems they're outside, and again, you know, I think of friends and family, pray. And if you love them, and if you believe these words, then no doubt at times that will be with tears if we really love them, if we really believe that it is true. But Paul wants to make it that serious. That is how important it is that we fix our eyes on the right path, Paul's path, and the path of those who walk as he did. So that is the first kingdom, the one we do not want to live in. But there is another kingdom. There is another kingdom. Reading from verse 20. But, but our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Citizenship would have been particularly um, sort of appropriate uh, language to use speaking to uh, the Philippians. Um, So Philippi uh, was a Roman colony. So it wasn't in Italy but it was, had the status of a Roman colony. It was like a little piece of Rome abroad. Latin was the official language, the business language, um, and many aspects of public life went on as if you were in Rome. Uh, so to have Roman citizenship conferred a number of very worthwhile advantages in that time. And if you look at Acts 16, you can see some of that with Paul um, and those with him. And so writing to Christians in a city that is proud of its Roman citizenship, and understandably so, Paul tells the Philippians that you've got an even better citizenship. If you are Christians, you've got an even better citizenship. I don't know how you feel about your um, citizenship, if you're British, um, as I am. Uh, I hadn't even thought about my citizenship particularly um, in the last, as long as I can remember, until preaching this passage. But you may know people for whom their citizenship here or somewhere else is very precious. I think of a friend of mine, Tarzan, from uh, my previous church, um, who was trafficked to the UK when he was 15 from Pakistan, and he lived as a slave until he managed to escape, aged 19. Uh, He was taken in by a wonderful lady, and he later came along to our church, um, did Christianity Explored with us, became a believer. Um, He's now studying at university in the UK, and he's progressing through to get his British citizenship. For him... Citizenship could not be more precious. It means peace, and it means safety, and it means security, and it means education, and it means that he has come to know Jesus in his case. So whether we don't care at all about our citizenship or whether we think it's wonderful, Paul says we have an even better citizenship than that, a heavenly citizenship, heavenly citizens. And it's not a present-future thing. 
Paul isn't saying you either live for now or you live for later. He's saying you live for the earthly kingdom now or you live for the heavenly kingdom now. The heavenly kingdom is real. We don't see it, but it is real. Verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. If we put our trust in Christ, it's not we will one day be heavenly citizens. It's not if we live the right way, if we work hard enough, we might achieve our heavenly citizenship. We don't have to pass some citizenship exam. But if we've put our trust in Christ, we are heavenly citizens now. And that is amazing. Who's seen Black Panther? A few, a few, less than I expected. It's good, isn't it? It's good. I liked it a lot. Um, Greg Morse, um, he's an African-American writer for the Desiring God blog, and he wrote this. He wrote, in the movie, Wakanda, so it's, sorry, it's a Marvel movie, for those who haven't seen it, so if you're in the whole Marvel thing, it's kind of part of that. Um, Black Panther, Wakanda, which is the city, Wakanda is a fictional African homeland hidden from the rest of the world. It is uncolonized, technologically advanced, brimming with black excellence and beauty, industrious, mountainous, breathtaking. But the utopia itself, not the black superhero, hit an ancient ache that 400 years in America hasn't come close to soothing. We rally around superheroes like the Black Panther because we hope that they can lead us to Wakanda. And if you watch the film, as they walk around Wakanda, as they kind of dwell in that city, it is like a little vision of paradise. It's clean. It's safe. It's beautiful. No one is poor. Everyone has enough to eat. There's justice. There's peace. There's joy and there's happiness. It looks like a wonderful place to live. And in the film, no spoilers, um, they they kind of have ambassadors around the world. um, And those ambassadors, they might live in New York. They might live in London. They might live in Hong Kong. But first and foremost, they are Wakandan. They are loyal ultimately, not to the local government, but to the Wakanda government, to their king. And when loyalties may clash, they don't follow the local government, they follow their king. They are loyal to their status as Wakandan citizens. There is a kingdom coming that will make Wakanda look like a sleepy village. A kingdom where peace and joy, and justice, and safety will reign forever, where no one will be hungry, no one will be poor, where we will, be at, with, we will have joy, and we will be at peace forever. That kingdom is coming, we will see it, but again, if we have put our trust in Christ, we are members of it now. We do not see it yet. We are, at the moment, we are away from it, like ambassadors. But if we are believers, we are loyal to it. Christian, you may live in London, but London is not your home. Heaven is your home. The kingdom of heaven is your home. How then should we live? We should honour our heavenly citizenship. We should live as those who are loyal not first and foremost to this land, they should follow its laws, but we should be loyal first and foremost to our king, not to the culture of London, not to the culture of Britain, but to the culture of Christ, to the culture of heaven. Honour 
your heavenly citizenship. Because although we may not see it now, one day we will see it. The king is coming. And when he comes, he will bring his kingdom, and we will see it, and so will everyone else. You may remember those famous words from earlier in Philippians. When Jesus comes, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some will confess it joyfully, but some will confess it grudgingly, having been loyal to the kingdom of earth. When Jesus comes, those who have shown themselves to be loyal by the way that they live in this world will be welcomed into his eternal kingdom. And those political or religious or cultural oppressors who have persecuted God's people in this world, well, on that day they will find out where the real power lies. The real power lies with Christ. Verse 21, Christ who has the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. And he will, and not only that, but he will transform our lowly bodies to make them like his glorious body. And that is a wonderful thing to look forward to, and that should give us power in the difficult things of this life, when this life is hard. I look back, it's like puzzlement, and you can judge me for this, um, that when I was in sixth form, I remember, I can remember, I can remember thinking, uh, however bad today is, at least when I get home, I'll be able to watch The Simpsons on TV. It was back in the day when Simpsons was only on BBC Two every night, 6 p.m. And just thinking, however, you know, however much stick I get from the teachers, however annoying people are today, uh, that's coming in the future. And it helped me to get through the day. It's amazing how easily pleased I was as an 18-year-old. Um, maybe that's not the case for you, but for some, it's that that you know, work is tough, but you know you've got a holiday coming. Or perhaps it's a relationship, whether a romantic relationship or a friendship. Life is tough, but you know when you get together with that person, you can relax. You're, when you're with them, everything is okay. This is the great hope. This is the great thing that we look forward to. And the harder life is, well, actually, the more eagerly we will await that saviour from heaven. He is coming with his heavenly kingdom. And so the question is, well, how then should we live? We should live for that king. We should live for that king. That kingdom is coming and there is nothing more important. It means following Paul's example. I don't know what your week would look like this week if you lived like Paul. Um, what changes you might think it make to the way that you live in your office or in the hospital or at the school gate or the university or in the doctor's surgery while you're waiting and you see people you know or chatting with a shop assistant, uh, what you'd watch on TV if you think of yourself as a member of Christ's kingdom, what you wouldn't watch, what you wouldn't wouldn't say to people, what you wouldn't wouldn't do to people or for people, what you wouldn't wouldn't look at on the internet. Paul says this is so important. We need to be careful to imitate him and look around for people who are living this way and keep our eyes fixed on them. And so it's worth thinking, who are the influential people in our lives? Also worth thinking, are they people that we know or 
Is it, you know, who is it that we follow on Instagram or Facebook? Or who is it that we think are leading lives that are worth copying? And think carefully about that. But as we close this week, remember this. If you've put your faith in Christ, when the pressure comes, when it gets difficult, when you face that choice, will I choose for the earthly kingdom? Think no. My citizenship is in heaven. Act accordingly. Honour your heavenly citizenship. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you do not just tell us what to do or not do, but you tell us why. And you are not being harsh with us. To live for you is not to make a sacrifice. It is to embrace the better kingdom that is coming. We thank you for that. Father, please give us eyes to see that this week and each day of our lives, that we might be welcomed into that heavenly kingdom when Christ returns. In his name we pray. Amen.